Welcome to Defenders, the teaching class of Dr. William Lane Craig. Today, the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit, Part 5. For more resources from Dr. Craig, go to reasonablefaith.org. Today we want to look at the baptism and fullness of the Holy Spirit. There's a great deal of confusion in Protestant circles concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit because certain Pentecostal and charismatic Christians claim that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second work of grace in the life of the believer, which brings one into a fuller and deeper experience of the Holy Spirit. They believe that when a person becomes a Christian, he is indwelt by the Spirit, but he's not baptized in the Holy Spirit. In order to come into this deeper walk with God, you need to have a second work of grace, a second experience of the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, often accompanied by speaking in tongues, which will initiate you into this deeper walk of the Spirit. I think this view is uh, completely wrong. It seems to me that the Scripture is relatively clear that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a second work of grace, but it is an initiatory work of the Spirit by means of which we are placed into the body of Christ. It is through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we are indwelt by the Spirit and made to be members of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 seems to make that clear. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Here, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the universal experience of the church, the initiating act by means of which we are placed into the body of Christ. Now, charismatics will usually appeal to the stories in the book of Acts to show that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an initiatory act, but is a second work of grace. But in fact, a close examination of those stories in the book of Acts reveals that in every single case, it is clearly an initial experience of the Holy Spirit that is being described, and not a second experience. So for example, in Acts chapter 2, you have the story of Pentecost, where the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to the church in Jerusalem and Judea. This is an initial baptism in the Holy Spirit uh, that they were to wait for. They were not to leave Jerusalem until they received this uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts chapter 8, you have the story of how the Holy Spirit is given to the Samaritan believers. And again, a close reading of chapter 8 indicates that they did not have the Holy Spirit until they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts chapter 10 and 11, you have the story of Cornelius and his household, in which the Holy Spirit now is given to the Gentiles. And once again, this is clearly an initial um, act of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Cornelius 
and his household. And Peter says that the Holy Spirit fell upon them in the same way that he did upon us at Pentecost in the beginning. And then in Acts chapter 19, you have this very strange story of the Ephesian disciples of John the Baptist, whom Paul runs into and who says, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul um, then baptizes them into the Holy Spirit and they uh, likewise become uh, Christians. So although the baptism of the Holy Spirit in these acts is differently related to water baptism, sometimes preceding it, sometimes actually coming after water baptism, nevertheless it's clear that in every case the persons who experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit are experiencing an initial act of the Holy Spirit and not some sort of secondary act of grace which puts them into a deeper walk with Christ. So it is through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we are placed into the body of Christ, regenerated, born again to new life, and indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So every believer has the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. So it is the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes a difference whether a person is a Christian or not a Christian. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes a person um, a member of the body of Christ and a Christian. Also, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? So, the Holy Spirit is the permanent possession of every believer. He is what makes us regenerate, what makes us Christians. Uh, and anyone who does not have the Holy Spirit uh, does not belong to him, is not a Christian. Any comment or discussion on that first point about the baptism and indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Steve. Uh, I'm not saying anything you said is, is wrong. I'm, I'm just saying there's probably a little bit more to it. Some things that in my mind are not clear. Like uh, what is the difference of your Christian and your walking is being, being filled or what is the sanctification if it's not more right. of a baptism or more dependence on? Also, remember, on the other side of that is, is the whole nation of Israel is baptized in spirit when they went through the cloud and coming out of Egypt. That's Christ also. Also, what about Philip? When they believed, are they saying they did not actually hope and repent? And they had to come down and baptize again. And so there's a lot of, there's, there's more to it than that. And I'm not saying, I'm saying what the Pentecostal extreme position is wrong. I'm, I'm saying we can't be too simple. As right. Well, that this. forms a very nice segue to my next point, which is going to be about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Though in this peculiar case with the Samaritans, um, it seemed that there they needed to have the ratification of the Jerusalem apostles 
in order to receive the Holy Spirit, and that they, they hadn't received him yet until they came down and laid hands on them. Now, as Steve indicated, although every Christian is baptized and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, not every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. And there is a significant difference between being indwelt with the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, to chapter 3 and verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 3, 3. Paul says, The unspiritual or natural man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. But who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brethren, could not address you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even yet you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving like ordinary men? And then also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 15, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15, he says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, each man's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Here, Paul seems to describe people who are Christians, but who are still dominated by the flesh, that is to say, the fallen human nature. And so he calls them carnal, or, or men of the flesh. He says that their works are not like gold and silver and precious stone that will endure testing, but they're like wood, hay, and stubble that will be burned up and destroyed, though they themselves will be saved. So what Paul seems to contemplate here would be three different kinds of people. There's the natural man, who is the unregenerate man. He does not have the Spirit of God. He is living in the power of the flesh, the fallen human nature. <coughs> Pardon me. Then there is the spiritual man. This is the regenerate Christian who is living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there is this carnal man or man of the flesh who is regenerate. He, he has the Spirit of God, but he's still living in the power of the flesh, the fallen human nature, and so uh, is immature and experiences futility. And notice what the sign or evidence is of 
the spiritual man. It is not charismatic gifts. The church in Corinth exhibited all sorts of charismatic gifts, didn't it? Uh, speaking in tongues, uh, miracles, uh, other sorts of charismatic phenomena. And yet it is the most carnal church uh, in the New Testament. People were getting drunk at the communion services. A man was living in incestuous relationships with his mother. It was riven by strife and jealousy uh, and party spirit. So even though the charismatic gifts were highly abundant and evident in Corinth, this was not a church that was uh, under the direction and power of the Holy Spirit. So the sign of the um, spiritual person is not charismatic gifts. Rather, it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, uh, which take place in a person's life in the place of the works of the flesh. And that's what we saw when we looked at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 25. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are plain. And then he lists some of them. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, uh, party spirit, uh, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. Many of those were evident in Corinth, as we saw. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So the evidence of the Spirit-filled life is not charismatic gifts or speaking in tongues. The evidence of the Spirit-filled life will be the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is produced in a person's life instead of the works of the flesh. Unfortunately, as we've seen, not all Christians experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I think that it means to be not merely indwelt by the Spirit, but to be empowered and controlled by the Holy Spirit. If we say that someone is filled with rage or filled with jealousy, we mean that person is controlled and possessed by that anger or by that jealousy. And in the same way, when Paul says to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he's telling us to be controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit so that he will produce in our lives the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is described in Galatians. Now, when we meet next time, I want to ask the question, why is it that so few Christians seem to be filled with the Holy Spirit? 
why do so many Christians seem to live lives of defeat and frustration and misery? And how can we then be filled with the Holy Spirit so as to walk in the fullness of his power and control? That's what we want to look at next time. But let's uh, finish now with a benediction. And now may the Holy Spirit who dwells within us fill our lives to do what is pleasing in his sight and so to produce the good fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives for all to see. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. The copyright for the content of this recording is held by Dr. William Lane Craig. For more, go to reasonablefaith.org.